What's up, passionate DJs, and welcome to another episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and this is a news update show. We do this so about every quarter or so, where we kind of catch you up on all the latest news updates in the DJ and sort of related industries uh, in the music space. Uh, and it's about time for us to do one of these, so we're basically going to be covering mostly things that are uh, related to software and streaming and other industry-related things, uh, and not so much hardware, because we recently covered pretty much all the hardware updates in our recent NAM episode, which you can go back to just a couple episodes ago if you want to get the kind of complete picture of all the latest gear that's sort of coming out for DJs, uh, you know, the Akai Force, the Denon Prime 4, and all that good stuff, the new Technics turntable. We cover all that stuff, and plus we have a lot of individual videos that you can watch on the matter uh, by just going to youtube.com slash passionate DJ and uh, checking out all the videos there. So for all those hardware updates, you can go there, but for everything else that's been going on for the past, oh, couple of months or so, uh, we're going to kind of summarize those in today's episode and uh, kind of give you the updates. So... Uh, one thing that I do want to remind you is that the Passionate DJ Podcast is supported via Patreon, and you can gain access to our monthly bonus episodes by visiting patreon.com slash passionate DJ and sign up to support us, and we will uh, give you access to our, like I said, our monthly bonus episode uh, containing deleted scenes and bonus segments uh, that aren't in the actual original show. We put those together and uh, give those to our patrons to thank us, uh, to thank you rather, for supporting us. Uh, and letting us uh, put together this passionate DJ thing and doing this show and all these other things that we love creating for you. So uh, once again, thank you so much uh, for the those of you who signed up in the past uh, week or so. We did get a couple of new patrons, so that's very exciting, and we're glad to be uh, sharing that experience with uh, you new supporters. So thank you so much. All right, moving on to our news updates. I want to start with basically some updates to uh, software platforms uh, in the DJ space. So I want to start out with Serato DJ because they just released their 2.1.1 update for Serato DJ Pro. And it gives you a couple of new things for you Serato users out there. So one thing is that it lets you sync up with all the newer Roland drum machines that have come out. So these are things like the TR-8S, the TR-8, uh, the TR-08 and 09, so sort of the modernized 808, uh, 909 kind of drum machines. You can actually connect those together and they will all sync and communicate uh, you know, really easily in that way. So that's pretty neat for those of you who own the, both of those pieces of gear. It seems like Serato and Roland integration uh, stuff is kind of uh, a thing now. Um, they also added remapping capabilities for OSAs. Now, OSAs are, that stands for Official Serato Accessories. And this would be something like the Novation Dicer, you know, where you add the, uh, the cue points and, and uh, jump points to the corner of your turntable, uh, or the Reloop Neon, or even the new Reloop RP8000 Mark II turntable. Basically anything that's sort of an official uh, official use Serato piece of hardware that communicates and is licensed for that purpose. Uh, so you can actually remap those things now. They're adding some more robust capability uh, for those OSAs. And then they also made it so that you can have independent modes 
you know, pad modes per OSA device. So for example, let's say you have the RP8000 Mark II turntable and it's got those buttons on the side and maybe you use that as uh, hot cues, but then you have, uh, I don't know, a reloop neon or something on the side and you're using that in some other loop or slicer mode or something like that. They can actually be kept uh, in separate modes now per device. So if you really want to sort of modularize and expand your Serato setup, you can easily do that by just adding that stuff on and you don't have to switch modes based on what you're doing. You could be doing one thing over here and one thing over here, uh, which is pretty neat. Uh, some other things, they actually did a lot of bug fixes in this release. They fixed an issue where some large libraries would take a very long time to load, an issue where iTunes files wouldn't show the key tags properly. Uh, there was an issue that they fixed where, uh, you know, files containing foreign characters would be marked as corrupt. Um, an issue where spacebar and enter do not work with caps lock in play or offline mode. An issue with Serato video, which uh, caused the channel faders not properly fading the video. So they would move the channel faders, but nothing would happen in the video. So they fixed that. And then finally they fixed an issue where tracks could restart when toggling the views or setup screen while the Akai AFX is connected. So a very specific use case there, uh, but lots of bug fixes and a couple of new features for you Serato users out there with this 2.1.1 release. Now along those lines, Recordbox is also in on the action. They actually released a beta of their, it'd be their 5.4.4 beta of the Recordbox software. And what this adds is actually a sort of cloud analysis function to Recordbox. So what this does is it actually makes it so that rather than uh, having to analyze every track and use your local computer, you know, CPU power to do that analysis, it will actually first check and see if there is an existing thumbprint for that file already in their cloud database, in Pioneer's database. And if that thumbprint already exists, then rather than processing and calculating and, and doing all that to that file locally, it will just download the information. Uh, so, you know, anytime, the idea is that it reduces the time, the overall time spent on music analysis uh, by downloading it from the server whenever that's possible. Now, when I first heard this, I was a little uh, kind of like, whatever. I mean, from a tech standpoint, it's kind of cool. I, I appreciate that. But, you know, am I really going to save that much time? It really only takes me, you know, a few seconds to analyze a song. Uh, what's the real benefit? But then I really started thinking about this. You know, if you have, for example, if you're moving platforms, you know, from something else and you, for whatever, you get a, you know, a terabyte of music for some reason, I won't ask why, <laughs> or for whatever reason, you're moving a large quantity of music from one place to another, and for whatever reason you don't have all that stuff, then when you expand it to hundreds or thousands of songs, you really could be saving a whole lot of time. And uh, you know, it's a greener way to go. There's less CPU cycles spent in this way, uh, less heat generated and all that kind of stuff. So I get why they're doing it. Uh, and I'm sure that they're probably using that to uh, mine some sort of data out of those analyzed tracks as well and use that for uh, you know, future developments within the Recordbox platform. Uh, but that's pretty interesting thing that they've added there. Uh, so like I said, basically the way it works is as you do an analyze function on a song in your Recordbox library, uh, Recordbox will check to see if a fingerprint for that song already exists. If there is a match, 
Recordbox will download the analysis file instead of generating one. If there's not a match, then that beat grid and all that metadata gets uh, generated locally and then uploaded to Pioneer servers for other people to use. Uh, now, just as a general disclaimer, remember that this is a beta release, and so you should exercise caution before, you know, letting it touch your active record box collection or doing anything extreme. Uh, that word beta is there for a reason, so just bear that in mind. This is not an official full release to the public. Uh, Tractor, once again, has already gotten some updates. Now, we recently talked about the big Tractor Pro 3 announcement, especially in the NAM episode and, and all that. We talked a lot about Tractor in the past several months. There's been a lot of development in that area, and they've already come out with a 3.1 update. So one thing that they add there is the ability to do what they're calling overmapping. And this is for like the Control S4, S8, the D2, and the S2. And basically what this allows you to do is add custom mappings to your hardware, custom mapping functionality, uh, but you can alter the function of a single knob or button or slider, whatever it is, in sort of an additive way rather than having to sort of start from scratch and uh, you know create a mapping from a blank template. Uh, this allows you to do it in an additive way, so you, you know, hey, from now on, if I push button A4, or whatever the button is that translates to in a, as a MIDI message, if I push this button, then I want it to do this function. Um, and then it would default back, you know, if that instruction were deleted, then it would default back to the normal use of that button. Uh, so before in the past, you would kind of have to, okay, you want to remap this, you're on your own, and then you have to kind of start from scratch, whereas this will kind of overlay on top of the existing mapping. I hope I'm explaining that in a way that makes sense. Uh, another thing that they added is the standalone mixer functionality for the uh, S4 Mark III, which was released not too long ago. And uh, this is comes by way of a firmware update. So... Um, even though the hardware could support it, uh, the firmware wasn't in a place where you could do that standalone mixing function, sort of like my Control S8, where you can plug in turntables, but you don't have to have an, uh, a laptop connected in order to use them. Uh, so like I said, this comes as a firmware update and the filter still works just like the S8. So that part of it is uh, hardware based. So if you're mixing turntables, external CDJs, something like that, you don't get access to all those cool tractory effects and all that kind of stuff, but you do at least still get to use that filter, which is a nice touch. Uh, they give you some new view options in 3.1. You get a single deck sort of preparation view for just working on an individual track uh, rather than, you know, performing. And then a much requested feature, which is that of parallel waveforms. And you can do this in two deck or four deck mode and all of the waveforms will go across the entire top of the screen on top of each other so you can see them uh, in a stacked way rather than having them separated into, you know, left deck and the right deck and so on. Uh, so, you know, this is customizable. This is not being forced on you. It's just another view that they've added on because it's highly requested. Uh, they added this, uh, something we've talked about before, which is an external mixing mode. And basically this bypasses all of Tractor's internal audio processing. So this gives you, basically, say you're connecting to a, a large scale uh, festival rig or a function one system or something like that. And you don't want there to be any kind of special 
uh, processing done by the software. You just want it to spit those files out the way that they arrived and you're mixing on external outboard gear and stuff. Um, then you can do that. You can get that cleanest and clearest signal straight out of Tractor Pro, uh, get it to front of house or wherever it's going. Um, but they do let you still put a limiter on there so uh, that you don't blow anything up. So it's nice to know that you still have that functionality. Uh, they added a tag writing mode, so basically this just lets you select whether or not you write uh, metadata tags to the files themselves or you or it just stores them in a local collection database. Uh, so if you were to have tag writing mode, the way I understand it is it will apply the tag to that file and then that uh, metadata, meaning the, uh, the key, the title, the, you know, the artist and all that kind of stuff, uh, and all of the beat grid information and all that actually moves with the file uh, rather than just in one local database uh, on your computer. And they also added, just as a small thing, tooltips to the preferences panel. So when you click on the little gear icon and it pulls up a control panel, you know, it's pretty intimidating if you've never really gone and dug in through there because a lot, a lot of terms are undefined and it's kind of hard to tell is this internal mixing or external mixing or what stage gain staging am I doing here it's, it's really confusing so they've added actually tool tips to this which is when you move your mouse over a particular function and you have the little bubble that pops up and says this is what this function does uh, so just making it a little bit easier on the uh, tractor user there now speaking of native instruments there was a recent windows update that killed several native instruments products with no warning uh, and i was affected by this in fact if you go back to uh, we recently published an episode where i interviewed dj access and we talked a little bit uh, after the show, he wanted to check out my machine studio and uh, my Control S keyboard, which is a you know Native Instruments based sort of hybrid hybrid uh, production and performance setup. And he, he was like, "Oh, let me see. I, I would really like to check out your setup because he is also a machine user." And I said, "I don't know what happened, man. I tried to use it last night and nothing would come up. It's like the hardware doesn't exist. I think something's wrong with it." Now, it turns out it was a Windows problem, not a problem with the hardware which I was happy to hear because otherwise that would have been a very expensive problem. So basically, uh, in the latest builds of, uh, well, it has since been fixed. I, I want to preference it with that. So uh, there was a Windows update that fixed this. But in the, the build of Windows 10, 8, and 7, um, the Control S4, Mark II, the Machine Studio, and any complete control uh, keyboard was just unrecognized by the OS. It just disappeared. Uh, like I said, they have since fixed that problem, but it was uh, definitely a little scary from my perspective, thinking that, uh, I, did I have a power surge? You know, what's going on? Everything comes up, but the OS doesn't recognize it. Well, if you've had that issue, make sure that you get your Windows updates run, and uh, that should start working again. It does kind of make you think a little bit about... Um, the nature of having backups and redundancy and uh, that sort of thing because if I had been performing with any of this gear and had a gig that night or that week I would have just kind of been up a creek without a paddle so a little scary um, we've talked quite a bit about backups and redundancy in the past uh, definitely check out some of our back catalog for more information on that but uh, 
the uh, long and short of it is that should be good to go now. Just make sure you have the latest updates. Now, Mix Vibes Cross DJ. This is another uh, lesser known DJ software. Uh, they had a new release. They came out with Cross DJ 4. And they added stuff like an album cover view when you're browsing tracks in your library. Um, they also added parallel waveforms. This is something that everybody wants now for some reason. Um, customizable UI through, uh, and I wish I knew how to pronounce this, Macquillage? 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 Anyway, it's a scripting language of some kind. And you can use the scripting language to actually customize the UI in uh, you know great detail, which is pretty interesting. Um, it, they added touchscreen compatibility to the software. So if you're using a tablet or a hybrid device like that that has a touchscreen, should work just fine with Mix Vibes Cross DJ 4. They added three synchronized effects per player, and then they allow you to create your own effects with something that they call the tweaker, which is pretty interesting. And then they actually integrated SoundCloud Go into the service as well. So this is another thing that uh, the DJ software is doing is they're incorporating cloud-based and streaming-based music services to the DJ software because that's where everybody else is going for their music. Uh, so it was sort of inevitable that people would start taking on this. Uh, we've seen it in the form of SoundCloud streaming, Spotify streaming. Uh, so we've seen some Tidal and, uh, you know, all the developments with um, Beatport, uh, which we'll talk about here shortly. Now, some other things that they uh, updated in this latest release of Cross DJ, they improved the autoplay function. They added phrase analysis. So this helps you find the intro and the outro and sort of the best parts of the track, maybe breakdowns and stuff. Um, they analyze the phrasing instead of just the beat grid. Uh, they added master clock and Ableton link support. So this allows you to uh, basically synchronize your DJ set with anything that supports either a MIDI clock or Ableton Link, which would be my preferred method. Um, I'm really happy to see that people are adding Ableton Link capability because it really is just as simple as clicking a button and joining it to an already existing time network. I mean, it's just fascinating. I tried this the other day with my tractor setup and added uh, Machine Studio, which was running on a completely different platform it was i was running tractor on a mac on my desk or on my dj booth and then i was running machine on a desktop pc running windows 10 and literally all i had to do is i started playing the uh, you know they were connected to the same network um, my wi-fi network and then i started playing a track on tractor and then i opened machine and i clicked the link button and it said oh i see that there's something else connected to Ableton Link, and it synced up, and everything played in perfect time. Um, so Ableton Link is just the name of a protocol, to be clear on that. It's not a program. It really doesn't have anything to do with Ableton Live, the program. Uh, it just gives you the ability to do this super simple synchronization of DJ stuff or music stuff, which is really nice, rather than having to get really complicated with it. You just click a button, and if it sees something on the network, it just syncs and works. Uh, pretty fascinating. They added a remote app, so this is something on either iOS or Android that allows you to kind of have a second screen experience to use for various things in the software. Um, they added little panes for track match and track playlist. Um, not entirely sure what those are because um, I'm a little less familiar with Cross DJ. I actually haven't opened Cross DJ in a little while, so I might need to get a little more familiar with that. Um, but they did 
also add, and this is pretty big, the ability to import and export from Rekordbox, Serato DJ, Traktor, and Virtual DJ. You can import and export from all of those libraries. Now, I don't know how complete that functionality is. I don't know if it imports the beat grids, the cue points, the, and, and everything perfectly, or if there are limitations to that. Um, but this is something that a lot of people are starting to do. Denon's really leading the charge on this with being able to import and convert between various libraries. And uh, pretty interesting to see that things are getting at least a little bit more universal in that sense. Uh, of course, then they added the ability to export to external USB. So uh, presumably this would be a similar functionality to Rekordbox where you can prepare a playlist or a collection, export it to USB, and then play it on a different setup. Now, in a bit of sad news, the uh, app Kato has shut down recently. Now, this was an app that let you drag a song from your DJ collection and then into it, and then it would pull a, play, a track list, excuse me, it would pull track list data from thousands of other DJs. So you could kind of see like what was, what was played before and after this track and by whom and how often. So sort of building a, a bit of uh, overall metadata for music and the way that DJs played it. Uh, operations for Cato will actually cease on the 31st of this month, March 31st, and all subscriptions have already been canceled. So uh, yeah, Cato is just done. Now this was a, an app that was founded by two former Twitter and Google employees uh, in uh, collaboration with Ian Golden from uh, DJ Tech Tools. So apparently this didn't work out. It was a good idea. Maybe somebody else will pick up where Cato left off, but as it stands now, it has been shut down and all subscriptions are canceled. Now, in a bit of maybe happier news, depending on who you are, the Rain 12 has been allowed in DMC competitions. Now, the Rain 12, if you're not familiar, once again, you can hit up that YouTube channel, youtube.com slash passionate DJ. We talk a little bit about the Rain 12s. When I was in California for NAM, uh, I actually met with one of the representatives and kind of asked him about the 12s and the Rain 72, which is the mixer it would usually be paired with. And uh, just wanted to get the updates because I knew they'd been working on it. And so he told me some of the updates they made to the latest iteration of the 12s. Uh, but anyhow, uh, the DMC has announced that this is actually a valid uh, piece of hardware to use in DMC competition, where traditionally it has been limited to strictly analog turntables, such as the, you know, Technics 1200. Um, this is actually, this is a new thing because the Rain 12 has no tone arm, has no stylus or needle, has none of that stuff. It's, in the strictest sense, it's a controller. Uh, it's used with Serato DJ, and, it, and for all intents and purposes, it is a turntable, except for, I guess you can't needle drop with it. Maybe there's one or two things you can't do. But besides that, it's basically a digital turntable, for lack of a better term. And so... Uh, they say Rain and DMC are excited to jointly announce that the Rain 12 motorized turntable controller is now officially accepted as performance hardware in the DMC mixing championship events from this year onwards. Now, this announcement includes all regional heats, finals, and the online competitions. To support this, Rain is offering custom-made 12-inch acrylic control discs to any DJ that competes in the 2019 DMC globally using the 12s. Now, once again, the question for this is going to be, is this good news or is this blasphemy, right? Because so many people in the DMC community are really purists 
about this kind of stuff. And there's been, you know, in the past, there's been big hubbubs about uh, is it okay to use uh, DVS and timecode and that sort of stuff, uh, digital vinyl solutions. Can we use that in competition? And eventually that won out. And uh, I, I'm going to assume that eventually as more things like the rain 12 become accepted in competition that it will be somewhat normalized but there are still people who really complain about the purity of the competition because this is meant to be a turntablism event and the rain 12 is just one of those pieces of gear that really blends that line between the modern digital world and the sort of traditional classic analog dj world All right, now I just want to take a moment to talk about music streaming. And uh, the reason I want to talk about music streaming is because it has obviously just completely dominated the industry. There was recently an RIAA report that said that streaming services now account for 75% of music revenue. So digital downloads are almost half of industry sales, but they dropped by a quarter from last year, or from 2017, rather. Uh, so they are falling fast, and everything is really moving full steam ahead towards streaming, uh, which is why it makes sense for so many of these DJ apps to be integrating streaming and cloud services into their software. Uh, but interestingly, and possibly... Um, you know, sort of ironically, uh, vinyl sales saw its most profitable year since 1988 last year at $419 million. Now, speaking of streaming, uh, it's almost time for Beatport Link. Now, what this is, is actually in software integration of the Beatport library. So uh, basically what's happened is it was based on pulse like pulse locker technology so if you're familiar with pulse locker uh, beatport purchased that service in 2018 and now we know why uh, they want to build this in as part of a beatport provided service to djs so basically how it works is you'll store songs in an offline locker and then it, that makes it available for use in dj apps so it'll you know download it or cache it locally and then presumably it will either analyze that music or will give you access to cloud data of the analysis of that track and then just make it available for you to use whether or not you're connected to the internet, as I understand it. Um, now, they haven't yet announced which platforms this is going to work with, but Pulse Locker was integrated with Serato DJ Pro, Virtual DJ, and Rekordbox DJ, uh, so I, I would expect them to show up on those platforms. Now I have a quote here, Beatport's purchase of Pulse Locker early in 2018 paved the way for the company to seamlessly integrate its store into DJ performance software, enabling DJs to easily access a massive catalog of music. The first integrations of the Beatport Link product with leading DJ performance software applications will be completed in the coming months. Beatport will have an online a la carte download store as well as Beatport Link as a subscription service that allows music to be played directly into performance software and stored in offline mode via the company's proprietary locker technology. It's a whole brave new world out there for DJs when it comes to digital and cloud and streaming. Now, speaking of Beatport, we're actually going to be seeing the return of BeatSource. Now, if you haven't been a DJ for very long, you might not remember BeatSource, but this actually existed before. This was a sort of a sister 
uh, product to Beatport. And I remember it being pretty centered around hip hop, uh, though the new version is actually gonna cater a little bit more to open format DJs. So basically what's happened is Beatport has partnered with DJ City uh, for this effort. And they're gonna, like I said, cater to open format and sort of top 40 DJs uh, who kind of need access to those charting songs and take requests and all that kind of stuff. So they're gonna make DJ City's uh, record pool that they have accessible within BeatSource. Um, and it, this, all, this stuff that we're talking about right now will actually work with Beatport Link, what we just talked about, uh, which will potentially make this a great resource for somebody like Mo Dingo, who does a lot of mobile DJs, wedding, uh, mobile gigs and weddings and stuff like that. So if you need access to all that kind of top 40 stuff, BeatSource will help make that possible. So Beatport is kind of, they're keeping Beatport as maybe their more underground dance music, EDM-based service, but also uh, partnering with DJ City and bringing up this BeatSource thing to cater to the other side of the equation. Just continuing through some news items here on today's episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast. Uh, we're looking at a bit of tension between Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, recently, Spotify actually formed, uh, filed a complaint with the European Commission, uh, I, apparently they tried to resolve the issue directly with the Apple Music team, but they didn't have any success going down that path. Uh, but they're alleging that, uh, so what happens is when you pay for something through the Apple App Store, Apple kind of applies a 30% tax to uh, any payments that go through their system. And that Apple system, payment system, Apple Pay is forced upon anybody using the Apple Store. You have no way to set up like a custom PayPal account or something like that to pay for your apps. And so Spotify is saying that because users have to put a 30% tax on top of everything, it causes Spotify to have to inflate their prices and that gives Apple Music an unfair advantage as a streaming platform. So this comes from complex.com. Spotify has hit Apple Music with a complaint overseas alleging, quote, unfair advantages in connection with App Store matters. Spotify founder Daniel Eck announced that following careful consideration, he and his team had decided to file a complaint against Apple with the European Commission. Now, they're, of course, responsible for ensuring fair and non-discriminatory competition. Now, Spotify alleged that they previously tried to resolve their issues directly with Apple Music, though those efforts apparently didn't go their way. To illustrate what I mean, let me share a few examples, X said. Apple requires that Spotify and other digital services pay a 30% tax on purchases made through Apple's payment system, including upgrading from our free to our premium service. Now, if we pay this tax, it would force us to artificially inflate the price of our premium membership well above the price of Apple Music. And to keep our price competitive for our customers, that's something that we just can't do. Now, Eck noted that he doesn't consider what Spotify is asking for special treatment. Instead, he named other apps like Uber, which aren't affected by Apple's alleged uh, tax practices. Within the complaint, Spotify is hoping for apps to, quote, compete fairly on the merits in the App Store and for customers to have the option to choose their own payment system. Apple actually uh, came back at Spotify and released a statement. They say that Spotify wants to keep all the benefits of the App Store ecosystem, including the substantial revenue that they draw from the App Store's customers without making any contributions to that marketplace. And even a little harsher than that, a little more caustic than that, 
Tim Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, actually released a statement, and he said, we share Spotify's love of music and their vision of sharing it with the world. Where we differ is how you achieve that goal. Underneath the rhetoric, Spotify's aim is to make more money off of others' work. And it's not just the app store that they're trying to squeeze. It's also the artists, musicians, and songwriters. Now, in a bit more positive news, Warner Music has actually made a deal with Dubset. Now, Dubset is sort of a startup company that helps DJs publish licensed songs and monetize. So this has been a problem ever since things like streaming and going, you know, Facebook Live and and YouTube streaming and all this stuff has come into play here. We've all been struggling to figure out how do we legally do what we're trying to do in this giant industry of DJing that exists when we get cut off at every turn by, you know, DMCA takedown complaints or algorithmic takedowns on different platforms because, you know, you're playing a song that doesn't belong to you. You're not allowed to do this. And then you have to try to file a complaint to get it resolved. And it's just ridiculous. So Dubset is trying to be sort of a middleman to step in and kind of fix these issues directly with major players like Warner. So this would help give you access to artists like Daft Punk, Bruno Mars, Cardi B, and not get that stuff taken down, uh, which is pretty great. So the sets can be distributed via Spotify and Apple Music is kind of what they're mainly focused on at the moment. And uh, Warner is not the only ones to do this. They actually, uh, Sony was the first to partner with Dubset, and that happened in August of 2017. Uh, following that title, and then another sur- another one called Merlin uh, came in and joined them. And then in October of this past year, SoundCloud actually partnered with Dubset, and they added them as a distribution channel. Uh, so they're stepping in and trying to fix, like I said, this this real issue that we DJs have, you know, with just trying to publish our work. Uh, they posted this as part of their newsletter. Uh, they being Dubset. Says Dubset's team has worked tirelessly to expand its catalog, giving DJs a broader set of tracks to use in DJ sets that can be distributed to streaming services. The licensed songs that DJs can include in their mixes has expanded at a blinding rate, due in large part to deals signed with Sony Music Entertainment, Warner Music Group, and Merlin, also known as the fourth major. Now, speaking of distribution, SoundCloud Premiere is something we need to talk about. And this helps you get payouts from all the major music services, uh, for example, Apple, uh, excuse me, Amazon Music, Apple Music, even Instagram, uh, Spotify, YouTube Music, uh, at no additional cost. If you are a SoundCloud Pro or Premiere user, you can actually get distribution to those channels and get uh, royalty payouts through those services. Uh, From the SoundCloud blog, they say when the first and only distribution tool excuse me, with the first and only distribution tool built directly into a streaming platform, you can think of SoundCloud account as a mission control for your music. The only place where you can share tracks instantly, connect with your fans, manage your content, and get paid for your plays everywhere. Simply choose from your uploaded tracks and albums and distribute to all major services while keeping 100%, that's key, while keeping 100% of your rights and payouts. We take nothing. And getting streamlined payments directly from SoundCloud. 
Our direct monetization program, SoundCloud Premiere, is available at no additional cost to all eligible Pro and Pro Unlimited subscribers who are 18 years of age or older, creators of original music, have zero copyright strikes, that might be key for some of you, and at least 1,000 monetizable track plays. Now, a bit of interesting news. Uh, we recently talked about the Fire Festival. Uh, we recently did an episode called Crossfire. That was, if you want to listen to that, it was passionatedj.com slash 172, where uh, me and the other co-hosts uh, watched both of the recent documentaries, uh, the Netflix one and the Hulu one. We all watched them, and then we got together and sort of did a reaction episode. Uh, you can get that in episode 172. Well, recently... They actually announced that there was going to be a Fire Festival merch auction. And so this is your chance to win, you know, Fire Festival t-shirts and other, you know, merch from the infamous festival that never was. So all of the proceeds of that event, uh, or excuse me, all of the proceeds go to the people who were scammed. Um, so if you recall the story, Billy McFarland left a $25 million debt when his event collapsed, and he's currently serving a six-year sentence in a New York City jail following his guilty plea to fraud. So if you want to get some Fire Festival swag, this is your opportunity to do so, which actually might not be a terrible idea depending on how this whole Fire Festival thing ends up sitting in within history, uh, because right now it's pretty however you want to put it, popular, famous, well-known, uh, because it was this big Netflix and Hulu thing and there was controversy behind the documentaries themselves and all that. Uh, the question is, is anybody going to care about Fire Festival in five or ten years? And uh, if so, maybe this stuff will be worth some money, which is a pretty interesting idea. Now, I do want to talk really quickly about just an iconic track that you all know, and that is... Kerncraft 400 by Zombie Nation, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because it actually recently turned 20 years old. Uh, it celebrated its 20th anniversary on March 18th, and actually, a lot of people don't know this, but the most well-known version of that song, the one that you hear in stadiums like this... actually is the... DJ Gius remix, which sounds like this. Now I have a quote from the creator of the song saying, it was a weird feeling because this track kind of became the original. A lot of labels didn't bother to say that it was a remix. Uh, there was actually a recent story posted. There was actually a short documentary. It's 15 or 20 minutes long. I think Vice posted it. Uh, talking about Kerncraft 400 and the story behind that track. It was actually a pretty troubled track and had a, a lot of hurdles to get released. And one part of that story is actually something that I was familiar with many years ago, uh, just being an old gaming nerd. And, and that is that the song actually originates from an old 8-bit Commodore 64 song. It was called Lazy Jones. And the uh, music producer on that, or the composer on that, game was David Whitaker. So this uh, melody from Lazy Jones actually was created in 1984. So way back in the day, back in the early 80s, 
uh, David Whitaker creates this is actually a series of songs. It's kind of interesting. The game, you walk into different little rooms and there's different things for you to do in those rooms. And each room that you walk into, there's sort of a varied, a variation on a theme of the music. So there's kind of a constant tempo and a constant chug, just kind of that dun 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 and they play different melodies on top of it. And in one of the rooms, uh, there was a song called Stardust, and that song, Stardust, eventually got picked up by uh, uh, Zombie Nation and was turned into the song that we all know from stadiums and sporting events across the world. David Whitaker was ultimately ultimately paid uh, some undisclosed sum in order to be able to use that melody uh, once it was discovered. Uh, but pretty fascinating song with a pretty fascinating history. You should look into that and learn more about it because it's a cool story. Now, we are coming to the end of the news here, but I do need to unfortunately wrap up with a bit of sad news that many of you have probably heard by now, and that is the passing of Keith Flint of Prodigy, of the Prodigy. And uh, this kind of came as a shock to a lot of people in the music industry. Um, he was pretty young, and it was sad to see such an icon um, leave the industry and leave this world. Um, he's had so much influence uh, along with the Prodigy of on music in general, but especially with electronic music and dance music and EDM and all these things that we may enjoy now. Um, he was at the forefront of not just that band, but of that movement. And uh, so definitely here at Passionate DJ, we uh, send our love and condolences out to uh, the entire family and those affected by Keith's passing. And I did want to just end with a couple of quotes uh, by some, you know, DJs and other people who have reacted to Keith's passing. Uh, the Prodigy themselves posted, It's with deepest shock and sadness that we can confirm the death of our brother and best friend, Keith Flint. A true pioneer, innovator, and legend. He will be forever missed. We thank you for respecting the privacy of all concerned at this time. We also got a reaction from Adam Bayer. The Prodigy played a big role in my early raving and DJ years, and I remember being blown away by Charlie on XL recordings in 92. Thanks for all, Keith. We shall all be dancing in heaven together soon enough. Safe travels, RIP. Ed Simons of the Chemical Brothers says, Such sad news about Keith Flint. He posted a photo, and he said, This photo is him unexpectedly joining us on stage in 1995. He managed to kick the power out, but no one minded. He was Keith from The Prodigy, and he could do whatever he wanted. He was a lovely and generous man, full of spirit. Rest in peace. The Black Madonna posts, R.I.P. Keith Flint, I damn near burned a hole through The Prodigy experience in 92, when there wasn't a lot of accessible dance music in Kentucky. It was a huge deal for me. I can't overstate it. I'm very grateful to have had proof that this world I wanted so badly actually existed. 
Andy C. said, such an incredibly sad day. Keith was a gentleman, one of the nicest people you could ever meet, one of the greatest frontmen of all time, and a true icon of the rave generation. Sending love to all of the Prodigy family, R.I.P. Keith. Skrillex said, I may have not had a career if it wasn't for you, Keith. You made me feel welcome in a time when I needed it. Thanks for all the laughs, my friend. Rest in peace. Pete Tong said, I'm sad to wake up to the news that we lost Keith Flint, a true original. The Prodigy have made a huge contribution to dance culture and electronic music all around the world. Keith's contribution as the band's iconic frontman was immense. He will be dearly missed. R.I.P. And then finally, a reaction from Dylan Francis who said, Wow, R.I.P. Keith Flint. I remember listening to Breathe on MTV when they used to show music videos, and I was so enthralled by that video. I went and bought their album, The Fat of the Land, and was obsessed ever since. Sending love to his friends and family, Dylan Francis. I only thought it appropriate to go ahead and send out with a piece of music from The Prodigy. So this is the track Breathe. I'm sure you'll remember it. Uh, Listen to it and remember all the positive memories from the first time you heard The Prodigy. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this little update episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast. Don't forget to check us out at patreon.com forward slash passionate DJ. Check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash passionate DJ. And check out our merch at passionatedj.com slash merch. But for now, this has been the Passionate DJ Podcast. Rest in peace, Keith. Keep on spinning.